It's March 5th, 2014, and welcome to another edition of Bite Mark Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa, and we cover the Geek Beat here on Hawaii Public Radio. First, a look at the latest tech news and happenings in Hawaii and beyond. And joining us today is Alan Solidum to tell us about the upcoming Mini Maker Fair. Finally, we'll learn about a new creative space proposed for Kaka'ako that blends art, technology, and design. Have your questions and suggestions ready to call in or tweet. But first, the headlines. Well, Honolulu will host a hydrogen fuel cell technology demonstration next year. California-based Sandia National Laboratories announced last week that the technology could ultimately be deployed at busy, busy commercial harbors and ports around the world. The program follows a study that uh, at and an analysis conducted last year that proved that hydrogen fuel cells could be used to provide auxiliary power to docked or anchored ships. The follow-up demonstration will focus on a portable self-contained hydrogen fuel cell unit. The system will be delivered to and deployed by Young Brothers, one of the state's largest shipping companies. Sandia has studied a number of ports and honed in on Honolulu and the company as an ideal candidate for the demonstration. The lab found that hydrogen fuel cells could greatly improve over the efficiencies achieved with the company's diesel engines, especially because the generators aboard Young Brothers ships regularly operate at less than maximum power. And the high cost of fuel compared to the variable cost of hydrogen meant that significant cost savings could be achieved. With the participation of Young Brothers and promising refinements in hydrogen fuel cell technology, the demonstration found the funding it needed to move forward. Engineering and design of the system will take at least six months, which will be followed by Intensive training program for employees. The fuel cell unit will then be operational during a six-month deployment in early 2015. Now, when you think about uh, how ships that are docked now get uh, sort of powered, they, they oftentimes run a line from the grid and power it, you know, via the uh, electrical grid. Right, right. But now uh, there's, you know, proposals where you can actually have this uh, a floating barge of, of hydrogen fuel cells that can basically provide the fuel cells out to the ships themselves. Well, I mean, the basis of this, the program in general is that harbors are actually a major source of pollution and mm-hmm. power consumption, et cetera, all around the world. So why not focus on them? And many harbors do have sustainability goals, if not actual rules. And so this is going to be a unit that can fit inside a 20-foot shipping container. So it could be among shipping containers already on a ship, for example. It'll carry four thirty kilowatt cells and storage and conversion equipment and just be ready to go. But certainly... Um, in this particular case, Young Brothers runs diesel generators to power refrigerated containers. So even while at sea, this would be a good thing to help them conserve fuel mm-hmm. because it can be powered you know, by hydrogen. It seems like we're hearing more and more about fuel cells. I mean, even on the uh, the bases, they're incorporating that kind of technology. And, you know, it is something that is, is portable, and then you can actually store it and then, you know, use it just like, uh, you know, just like petroleum. Absolutely. Researchers at the University of Hawaii, working with colleagues at the University of Tokyo, captured a shark's eye view of the undersea world with new tools and techniques that they're developing to better understand the ocean predator. The research incorporates a variety of sophisticated sensors and video recorders, and while their work with sharks has made headlines, the technology can be applied to other top ocean species, like tuna. Well, the goal is to learn more about how sharks and other ocean predators swim, eat, and live. The sensors and cameras allow scientists to measure and see where they're going and monitor what uh, they do when they get there. The researchers noted that the sharks are usually studied where humans can easily observe them near shore during mating season or while migrating or hunting. 
The study is much more extensive, monitoring sharks continuously over several weeks. And while some of the sensors were strapped to the sharks, others were actually ingested using electrical measurements to keep track of digestion. Coupled with video of the sharks while they're hunting or resting, the collected data revealed new insights into shark biology. Lead researchers Carl Meyer and Kim Holland presented their findings last week at the annual Ocean Sciences meeting. In addition to gathering great footage of sharks in their natural habitat, they did learn more about how sharks travel long distances and interact with other species. Now, this made you know the the national news, and and there's a uh, one minute clip that's being circulated quite quite a bit, and I think probably a lot of people have already seen it. Uh, but I'm I'm kind of curious to see how much other footage they might have. I'm sure there's footage in there that uh, shows sharks like feasting on some of the. F- you know the the, the prey that they they uh, usually feed on. Right, and it should be noted that this is, this is separate from the Maui study that the state is funding to track tri- tiger sharks and their movements. Mm-hmm. This is a different kind of monitoring and certainly a, a a wider base. But I think it is notable that you know you can see them doing things that you might not otherwise catch to them. I remember we had had guests previously talking about tracking monk seals and how they spend their days. So I think this kind of persistent monitoring is certainly more compelling. At least when someone's gone through all the footage and edited together all the more interesting things they describe this as like having a flight data recorder for sharks. So I, I definitely like that approach. Well, I don't know if, um, you know, even with that one-minute video that they had, there there's some segments on there where the uh, camera is sort of, you can see it sort of swaying because of the way the tail uh, affects mm-hmm. the movement of the shark. So after a certain point in time, you get a little bit Sort of dizzy. Know, dizzy watching the show. Well, one, some of the findings, for example, was how they moved. We, they assumed that they did more low-power gliding over long distances, but they found that they actually did kind of power powering through the ocean mm-hmm. longer than they thought they did. They said deep-sea sharks swim slower than they thought. So, you know, they're learning more than, and than what they would otherwise assume what a shark does when they're out there. Well, next up, astronomers believe they've detected water vapor in the atmosphere of one of the first exoplanets ever discovered, and they did so in part by using the Keck Observatory atop Mauna Kea on Hawaii Island. Described as a hot Jupiter-class planet Tau Buddhist B, or was discovered in 1996, spotted in a system 51 light-years away. It was found during the early days of exoplanet search, a research which has since identified nearly 2,000 planets outside our own solar system. This planet is a gas giant that orbits close to its parent star, and that makes it difficult to observe directly. While spectrographs have been collected from other planets, the technique is primarily applied to exoplanets that pass in front of their host star. Tau Buddha's B does not transit in front of its star from our viewpoint on Earth, but the researchers used the Keck Observatory's near-infrared spectrograph to tease out the planet's weak light. Previously, the team had already detected the presence of carbon monoxide in its atmosphere. Well, this latest analysis found the distant molecular signature of water in the glow of the planet's atmosphere. Water is one of the prerequisites to supporting life as we know it, although Tau Buddhist B orbits too close to its sun to be habitable. But the technique perfected in this study may make it possible to analyze spectrographs of many, many other exoplanets that are fainter or don't pass between their stars and Earth, allowing astronomers to more effectively find water vapor in their atmosphere. Now, you know, when I first read this story and it said that, you know, the uh, exoplanet didn't pass in front, and normally you would kind of detect the, uh, the, the light change in the star, I thought maybe they, they saw it maybe in the wobble of the star mm. itself. But they actually used the Keck 
telescope to see the the faint image of this exoplanet. Right, and finding the water signature was significant. They do find a lot with these exoplanet surveys of carbon monoxide or hydrogen, the most common elements out there, but I think the water signature is key. Um, and, you know, Tau Buddha's B, six to seven times Jupiter, but one-seventh the distance of Mercury. It only orbits mm-hmm. the sun every three days. Probably not someplace you'd want to live. But now that they have this technique, they can find and observe it in a faint planet, they can now point this telescope, basically these instruments, at other exoplanets among the thousands or hundreds of hundreds that they've found. And they specifically note in the study that when, say, the 30-meter telescope comes mm-hmm, online mm-hmm. or the James Webb te- uh, Space Telescope, they'll be able to find more of this out there. The Hawaii Space Exploration Analog and Simulation, or High Seas, program is moving into its second phase with the announcement of the second long-term crew of the extended Mars simulation being staged on the Big Island. Beginning March 28th, six crew members will be isolated inside a solar-powered dome situated at the 8,000-foot elevation of Mauna Loa, all while a team of researchers outside the high seas habitat will monitor them 24-7. Well, this second mission follows a food study conducted last year where a crew occupied the habitat for four months. While each member of the team conducted their own projects, high seas researchers observed how food was prepared and how their menu and diet affected crew morale and performance. Now, the focus will be on social, interpersonal, and cognitive factors that affect team performance over time. The six-member team will again bring their own research project, but the focus of high seas will be studying how well they work together. The researchers will evaluate the crew's communication strategies, crew workload and job sharing, and conflict resolution or conflict management approaches. Ultimately, the hope is to identify the most important factors for success in a long-duration space mission. Each member of the crew was evaluated on a number of characteristics, including the ability to pass a Class II flight physical examination. Of those that will reside in the dome for over 120 days, the youngest is 26 and the oldest is 60 years old. Now, you know, um, we've had Kim Binstead on and uh, talked about their first uh, uh, sort of experiment, and now these uh, next series of of experiments are taking longer periods of time, four months, and I think there's one that's going to be like a year and maybe even longer than a year. And when they start to look at the uh, sort of the um, effects of long-term confinement, uh, I think it gets pretty interesting. Well, I mean, I was reading some of the blogs from the previous uh, the previous team, mm-hmm. and they write about, you know, of course they're doing their own research, and they're focusing on the food preparation. That was kind of the, the theme tying it all together. But they were analyzing their human experiences, getting bored or dealing with conflict and things like that. So that'll specifically be the focus for, for this study. What immediately made me think is it's not long before – Sure, they right now they've got funding from NASA, $1.2 million to cover it and stuff. But I think that if they want to continue these studies, all they got to do is go to ABC or HBO and say, hey, reality, reality show. show. Just watch them go nuts in a, in a, in a space habitat. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, at least the first one, they tried to focus their attention on these creative menus that would maybe take their mind off of uh, sort of the day-to-day. But as you start to get into the longer periods of time, I think it gets more and more sort of challenging. So um, until that day comes where there's camera crews running around, you can still track the progress of this mission. You can go to high-seas.org. And um, one of the um, crew members, his name is Ross, he's a blogger, so he's mm-hmm. already writing about getting ready to go at spincrisis.net. Sounds good. And here are a couple more quick stories we wanted to share with you. Kamehameha Schools announced yesterday that it has achieved, activated a free public high-speed Wi-Fi network network in Kakahako. 
The wireless uh, internet network covers nine blocks and offers speeds described as 10 times faster than the average home connection. Kamehameha School says that the Wi-Fi network will enhance the innovation and creativity already thriving in Kaka'ako. And we're going to talk more about that later in the show. That's right. Ahead on the tech calendar, next week brings the second annual Sustainability in Higher Education Summit. Hosted at Windward Community College, the three-day conference will cover policy and planning, skill building, program sharing, and student leadership. The University of Hawaii recently added a sustainability component to its official mission, so this summit will focus on moving from vision to action. For more information on the event, you can visit web.hawaii.edu slash sustainability summit. And now joining us here in the studio is Alan Saladam to tell us about the Honolulu Mini Maker Fair. Welcome to the show, Alan. Hi, Bert and Ryan. Thank you for having me. Sure, yeah. You know, so, uh, you, you know, this whole Mini Maker, well, actually, the Maker Fair has been something that we've kind of been tossing around as an idea that could happen in Hawaii, and actually it's kind of coming to fruition now, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. And uh, we really have to thank you and uh, actually Unconference for that, because this is actually a topic that came up in Unconference last year. And now it's actually coming to fruition this year. Well, that's good. That's good. Uh, you know, what is exactly, what is a maker? I mean, describe to us, you know, if somebody were just sort of dropping in and, and wondering, what is a maker? How would you describe the person? So a maker is really just that, someone who really likes to make or do things. Kind of a DIYer, a mm-hmm. person who's like, it could be an artist to an inventor to uh, just a creative. Or someone so, who knits could yeah, be a maker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just in any sort of space, people who are just like, Kind of interested in like the process of just kind of making their own sort of things, and and this is uh, coming as a result of maybe a lot of um, manufacturing having leave you know, left the U.S. I mean, people aren't really using their hands as much as they used to, crafts and you know various kinds of uh, things that you could make, and now there's a revival of of actually getting people to create things you know with their hands. Yeah, I'd say so. Actually, for me personally, I'm a software dev, Mm -hmm. and a lot of times you're making apps, but I also really appreciate the kind of like working with like robotics and drones, and that becomes more like hardware-related, so more physical sort of space as opposed to just uh, typing stuff, code on a screen and stuff like that. Now, obviously, this is a diverse group to bring together, and there have been some events that they kind of interact with each other, the event that Bert and I do. There's the Unconference, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. There's the Geek Meet that we do. Mm -hmm. But there is actually a bona fide maker movement, and specifically an organization that puts on a very large annual maker fair in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. But they have now sort of deemed official mini maker fairs in different cities. So Mm -hmm. this is a big deal in the sense that this one gets the official logo, the stamp of approval, the inclusion on that website. So tell, tell us a little bit more about how that organization will enhance what we're going to see here in Honolulu. So Maker Fair is really kind of like we, we got the license to be able to use the brand, uh, the name. They also provide us a playbook and like, you know, things that we need to do in, in terms of like um, uh, what sort of like milestones we need to meet. Uh, they also give us like the media for like the logos and things of that nature. And uh, uh, the Maker Fair folks, I mean, that was something that started with, with uh, Tim O'Reilly's organization. Yes. Is that correct? Yeah. And then they have a magazine called uh, Maker Magazine. Make, uh, yes, make, yeah, mag- yeah. make magazine. Make magazine. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So, um, what kind of, uh, um, I guess, the folks are going to be participating, and and what do you have uh, that you can share with us as far as you know possible, um, let's say, exhibits? Sure. Um, it's it runs the gamut. So we have a we have like uh, Colin from Three D Innovations bringing his three D mm-hmm, printer mm-hmm. and those sort of things. Uh, we also have um, the Sea Glider Group. Uh, some of the stuff you were talking about earlier, uh, they're going to be displaying that uh, the gliders that they made to map the ocean floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have uh, 
the Aloha Knitters group, which are going to be teaching people I how to knit that. and crochet. And so it's not just uh, tech-related, but for those who are, are interested in tech, we also have uh, drones will be flying in the space as well. So there's a lot of really cool things that are going to be happening that weekend. So this is, of course, some an event for people of this creative bent to interact and come up with ideas. Who knows what will happen when a drone flyer and a knitter sure. get to hang out. But it is, of course, also an exhibition to introduce a community. And, and, and I think the venue also has something to do with the mission as well. Yeah, so, so it's at Ian Lani uh, at the Sullivan Center, and we're really lucky to have them let us host it there. So it's at March March 15th, uh, which is a couple Saturdays from now, between mm-hmm. noon to 5. And it's a beautiful space. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, but on the bottom floor, uh, they have 3D printers there as well and a laser cutter. And they're actually going to be doing a workshop on laser cutting with art. And so that's pretty interesting. So so uh, I know the folks over at Sullivan Center, I mean, they are really incorporating some of this maker mentality with the students. Mm-hmm. And, and is it something that... Uh, I guess has become the technology has become more accessible so that people can do like laser carving on wood and 3D printing and all that. I mean, is, is the technology sort of at a point now where it's more uh, accessible? I would say so. When I went there and saw the space, I got really jealous because it was something that I wish I had when I was in high school. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But it's not just them who are doing that. I mean, we have like uh, UH coming out as well, Roosevelt, Punahou, like other schools as well. And these they're coming from their own maker groups mm-hmm. of things that they've uh, done and they're going to be presenting there as well. Are there any um, kind of unique things that you see coming out of the maker community here? Like, you know, any unique sort of, uh, uh, I don't know, um, let's say objects or, or whatever people are sort of making? Hmm, that's, that's hard to say because, like, I've been involved in the community for a while, so mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of the things already. Uh, some of the ones that I haven't been in touch with, like uh, there's going to be blacksmiths there demonstrating, like, their blacksmithing technique. Ooh. Oh, you mean uh, like, uh, like making horseshoes? Yeah, yeah. Horseshoes. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> And I didn't realize there was a Ghostbusters Hawaii division here as well. Oh, yes. They, be they, there as they well. come to the geek meet. I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So mm-hmm. the, the stuff I'm interested in is, of course, a lot of the tech-related stuff. Uh, but those were the other things that I didn't even know was going on here in Hawaii that I'm really excited to see. Now, I know that um, part of the interest in the makers that are participating is to make people aware that they're here, but there's also kind of a recruiting component. So if it's something that you, as a, as a creative person, was interested in, you know, I thought I was the only person that dressed up like a Ghostbuster. Well, here's your <laughs> opportunity to get in touch with them as well. And I think think that some of the participants aren't aren't just it is Honolulu Mini Maker Fair but you have people coming from the neighborhood islands as yeah, well Yeah yeah that's true we actually have from uh, Maui the Maui makers are coming out in a space gambit which is related to some of the earlier stories you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do have representation coming in from, like, the other islands as well. So now, ideally, what would you like to have a result from the Maker Fair, the Mini Maker Fair? Uh, for me personally, I just actually see it as almost kind of like a startup weekend, mm-hmm. but for makers. And so how that's kind of like an adrenaline shot for the community. Uh, I want people to leave excited about uh, the maker community and makers as well to want to like come back and like for the next event to to make and do things and other people going to the event to be inspired to want to make something or or do something or feel like learning they learning seeing what other makers are doing that they can themselves do the same thing as well. Okay, so how much does it cost to attend and where can someone find more information on this event? So that's that's the problem. It's the the high price of free. High pro, <laughs> my <laughs> I gotta check my uh, my bank account. I have I actually I have free in my wallet right now. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> can I have some of that? <laughs> yeah. So it's going to uh, you can go to honolulumakerfair dot com and that's F A I R E. Mm-hmm. So there's an E at the end of a fair. We'll make sure we put that on the show notes as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There's there's a uh, a link there to sign up for tickets and it's gonna like I said at Ilani. Uh, March fifteenth between twelve to five. So you suggest people get tickets? I mean, instead of just kind of showing up. Yeah, I would uh, because we're actually um, 
offering people who sign up uh, T-shirts, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they can purchase ticket uh, T-shirts uh, that will have uh, Maker Fair, the mini cool. Maker Fair logo, logo yeah. on it. Uh, it also help will help us in terms of like the food trucks because we do have Cow Cow Grill coming in. Oh. So people are wondering if like between twelve to five, if they're gonna have food, mm-hmm. there will be food provided as well. Fantastic. Sounds good. Yeah, and we also have a couple workshops, and if they want to sign up for the workshops, they can go there. Uh, Highcap is doing a soldering workshop, and uh, IGDA is also going to be do a workshop on game development. Oh, cool! So there's some really good, interesting talks. And the uh, soldering workshop, we really have to thank HCDC uh, because without their assistance, that would oh, yeah. be impossible. We'll have them on in two weeks. We'll All right. Yeah. Well, if thanks, you- Alan, for joining us. Oh, thank you. And that's what's been happening this week. We'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Wei Fong and Aaron Kinney, along with uh, Stephen Han, to tell us about the new collaborative space in Kaka'ako, as well as the Wi-Fi deployment. That's right. What is this new project called Agora, and what is planned for the creative and technical community in Kaka'ako? We'd, of course, love your questions. As part of that conversation, you can give us a call at 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. And, of course, we're live in the studio. We're monitoring Twitter, and you can tweet us at ByteMarks or at Hawaii. This is ByteMarks Cafe. Which of HPR's talk shows do you really love? And how many times have you had to miss it because of conflicts? Did you know you can subscribe to the talk show podcasts and listen to the show on your own schedule? Nothing could be easier. Just go to hawaiipublicradio.org and click on podcasts in the sidebar. You can subscribe right there and get HPR to go. The HPR website, it's just a click away. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm Jonathan Ellerby, author of Return to the Sacred, Ancient Pathways to Spiritual Awakening. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about how to cultivate a transformational practice. Sunday morning at 11. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And joining us today is Wei Fong and Aaron Kinney and Stephen Hahn. And Wei is an entrepreneur and co-founder of uh, Hello Makana, an online retail outlet for local product, and is also the on the board of the nonprofit collaborative called Inter-Island Terminal. Aaron, meanwhile, is the Development and Integrated Strategies Manager at Kamehameha Schools, and Stephen is the co-president of Hawaii Dialogics Telecom. And how is art and tech coming together in Kaka'ako? We'd love to hear your questions and comments, and of course that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. Way, Aaron and Stephen, we want to welcome you all to Bite Marks Cafe. It's good to be here. Thanks for having us. Now, um, I'm going to start with you, Way, because uh, you know we've uh, hung out at um, R&D for uh, many, many occasions, and, and <laughs> of course, everybody still asks me, what happened to R&D? R&D um, celebrated its last day on, I think, December 28th mm-hmm. of 2013, uh, after a run of about two years. And that and was a fast two years. I mean, yeah. 
<laughs> time goes by fast when you're having fun. It I mean, it, you know, it was a, a collaborative space, co-working space. I mean, you know, there's a lot of uh, right in that one Oahe area, yep. right? You had the greenhouse, and then and then the R and D right next door, and uh, you know, it was kind of a fun thing. Yeah, and so R and D was a project that uh, was conceived of and implemented, you know, and built out by our team um, at Inner Island Terminal, mm-hmm. our nonprofit organization. We're an organization that is all volunteer run. And so we had a sort of short, well, it was about a year-long time frame originally for R&D as, to run it as a project, kind of like a social experiment. And that so, turned into about two years. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, because we're all volunteers, we don't, we all have other day jobs or other ventures we're working on. So our capacity to do projects is somewhat limited. Um, and we have other projects that we've been wanting to move on to. Mm-hmm. And so we made the decision that it was actually the right time to close down R&D. Um, there was always going to be an end date for R&D at that location. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at Aaron Kinney with right. Kamehameha Schools, our partner and our landlord, um, because the understanding is we would be moving into that spot for a little while until Kamehameha Schools starts to redevelop that end of the block. Yeah, and so we were lucky to get two years out of you. Yeah, <laughs> we were lucky to be there for two years. And, Wei, we're going to talk a little bit more about your next project, as you mentioned, the next yeah. thing you want to do. But since Aaron uh, is here with the Kamehameha Schools, and I, and I don't believe it's a surprise to anyone listening to this show about the community that's thriving there in Kaka'ako. You can't even drive through the area without realizing, you know, something interesting is happening here. But there is a grand vision, I would say, R&D, uh, Greenhouse, even um, Box Jelly, and all the activity mm-hmm. happening in Kaka'ako is kind of part of the 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 foundation, the initial spark of what what is the broader vision for the area. Right. So, you know, people like R&D, even folks, foodies like Hank's Hot Dogs, they were the original mm-hmm. kind of seed for our Kaka'ako. And, you know, the economy, in, when, when our master plan was approved in 2009, was not that good. Um, and so we used the time and the passion, really, um, from a lot of folks like Way, like Hank, like um, Todd Bradley at C4 Waterman to really kind of think about what we could do with the space, what we wanted it to become. And so you've, you're seeing now kind of the fruits. I mean, we've been seeing it for a while, but, but you know, much more now, um, the fruits of all that kind of yeah, early... I mean, I- you know, planning and right. vision. And I, and I can see maybe an organization like Kamehameha Schools might be a little more uh, more conservative or more more thoughtful in some ways. And I can imagine you you have this space and previously it was uh, warehouses and auto lots and empty storage and things like that. And now you see it, it, with the just recently the Pow Wow Project yeah. redoing all of the murals in there. Yeah, I and mean, Pow Wow is another one just right. like R&D who really um, got people rethinking what Kaka'ako was. Um, and reimagining it, you know, Pawa, we, I mean, I think that's a lot of what's been the success is we really haven't been too restrictive in terms of what people could do. So it was a kind of a blank canvas and mm-hmm. we said, go for it. We encourage you. We support you. Um, in the case of Pawa, it was like, here's the walls. You can do with them what you want. And, and you know, we've been... It's been good for all of us, I think. Well, I got to hand it to those guys because it takes a lot of coordination to get all the artists together at you know one place and try to <laughs> paint those huge uh, walls. But wait, you you mentioned um, the idea of an experiment. Uh, so going into sort of this collaborative space, uh, R and D, and and as an experiment, how would you gauge whether it was successful or not? Were there any sort of metrics or uh, determinations that kind of uh, came out as a result of the experiment? 
Um, we, well, we feel that it was successful. I mean, in our hearts, you know, as an organization or as a group of people, a collaborative that's been working together, we really feel like it was successful because it brought together all the different ideas um, that exist within our city that we were really interested in. Mm-hmm. It, it was a, we hope, a very accessible space for different things like tech initiatives or discussions about education, um, discussions about environmental issues happening in our you know, in our community and other communities for film, for books, for people that just wanted to hang out and have a great cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. Like all of those things could coexist in that one space. Um, and then other things grew out of that. People used R&D to start businesses, made connections. I'm sure you'll probably see some projects going on like at the Maker Fair mm-hmm. that began with little connections, just meeting somebody at R&D. And, and other places like R&D, like the Box Jelly, where you begin to work on a program. And, and certainly we've worked with artists, um, developers, architects, designers, people that just have an idea and wanted a place where they could sit and kind of develop it. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that was, to us, the biggest success. Yeah, I yeah. know. At the end of the year, I was a little bit... Uh, Sad to see R&D go, yeah. but uh, I'm excited to see some new things happening over there. We're talking to Wei Fang from Inter-Island Terminal, Aaron Kinney from Kamehameha Schools, and Stephen Hun from uh, Dialogics Telecom about innovation and creativity and its place in Kaka'ako. If you've got a question, we can take you here on the air at uh, 941-3689, or we're watching Twitter at ByteMarks or at Hawaii. Now, um, in terms of these startups and creative industries and, well, frankly, a lot of nerds and geeks turning up in Kaka'ako as well and technical side, I think that it was almost natural to see the announcement that was made just yesterday uh, in Kaka'ako. And uh, if you did, if you missed it, Stephen, yeah, can what, you let what, folks Yeah, know? what announcement was that? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's very exciting for us, um, you know, as um, part of Kamehameha School's efforts to, uh, you know, catalyze the, uh, you know, the innovative community, technology community in the Kaka'ako region. Um, they thought it would be a great idea to provide free, fast internet service in mm-hmm. that whole nine-block area. So if you go in there, if you go into any part of that Arakaka'ako community, you can get... Well, well, what are, where are the boundaries? Um, give me a sense of what the boundaries are. Um, South Street, okay. Alamoana Boulevard, okay. um, Halekawila, and probably Cook. Might go a little more diamond head of Cook, but Cook's a good kind of marker. Yeah, and you know how Wi-Fi is. Depending on where you're at, you might go a little farther. You might, mm-hmm. you might not. Mm-hmm. So, so Stephen, um, Dialogics is is uh, sort of contracted to build the the Wi-Fi network, and and you guys will be sort of maintaining it uh, over time as well. Yeah, we're considered the uh, service provider, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we're providing the um, the the uplink to the internet mm-hmm. as well as the. Um, you know, access points. Right. Ex- exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, Stephen, this might be a, a geeky question, but hey, this is a geeky show. Yes, I mean, there is. are other communities, there are other cities that have Wi-Fi networks, and they say, hey, you can walk from block to block and have a connection, and it's nice and stable and such. From what I understand, um, because it's de- it's coming live now, some of the technologies that you're deploying make it so that it's possible for this to be faster than, say, your average city Wi-Fi? Yeah, we we think so. Um, and it's very very scalable and very flexible. I mean, this is really was designed around the requirements that were set forth by Kamehameha Schools and what they're trying to do with their master plan, which happens to go over several years. And so we had to design it in such a way that it was, it was going to, you know, achieve all of their, of, of their goals over time. And uh, one of those was being able to 
provide a lot of bandwidth for a lot of users. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so if you get onto the Wi-Fi network today, as we had demonstrated yesterday during our press conference, you can get somewhere around 150 megabits symmetrically. So that means up and down. You would get so down, I mean up as well. That's, that's, that's unusual. Right. Yes, it's, it's, it's quite unusual. And we think it's important, though, because it's, I mean, when you're talking about working with media, mm -hmm. you're talking about, say, doing video conferencing, um, things of that nature. I mean, the upstream is just as important as the downstream. Yeah, I was about to say, I mean, I, I like to make videos, but I, I render the video. That's not a fast process. But, but uploading it, I have to sort of start it and then walk away for a day, and then it will yeah. be online. So I should just drive down to Kakako and upload it there. Yeah, we had a um, – <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just come by and go oh, to the – Oh, you can go to the Agora when it's ready. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of Agora, I know. Uh, but, you know, as far as the the – it's connecting into your backbone, right? So your that's backbone's correct. got to be pretty robust in order to accommodate all this traffic that's going into the, you know, CONUS as they call it. You know, right? I mean, we're a, you know we're an established internet service provider. You know, we've been around for ten plus years. We have thousands of commercial and residential customers, mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. we do have the capacity. Mm -hmm, we do mm -hmm. have the infrastructure to support that. And so when Kamehameha Schools came to us and said, "Hey, can you do this?" We were like, "Whoa, this is right up our alley." Mm -hmm. I mean, not only do we want to have like ubiquitous internet everywhere, but we also have the capacity to do it. Oh, good. I'm going to go down there and try sure. it out. Well, here's the question, you know, and maybe it's because I'm that kind of person. But well, yeah. I when think. I hear, ooh, big fat internet pipes, uh, well, godly, God, you know, there, there might be some things that I might be interested in downloading that I wouldn't want to download <laughs> from home for various reasons. Uh, is, there any, is there any controls in place to, say, prevent collectors of uh, HBO series, I for think example? there's a filter that says <laughs> Rhino Zawa. Oh, darn. Block. <laughs> Am I blocked? Well, uh, suffice to say... Any illegal activity would generally be restricted. However, um, the way Kamehameha Schools wanted the network to be used was for people to use it for whatever they wanted to. Mm -hmm. So based on that, it's fairly unrestricted. I, I would say that you could pretty much use it how you would want to use it. So, uh, so As long as you're not impacting the rest of the network, probably it's not a right. problem. Right. So as, a, as an example, I mean, if, if there's a, a co-working space or maybe Agora, you know, and there's some collaborative uh, activity uh, and maybe a company wants to start, you know, sort of maybe forming and, and they don't want to buy their own internet connections or whatever, they can use the Wi-Fi, get on, develop whatever they need to develop, maybe even um, upload, download, you know, off the network. I and mean, it's not restrictive in, in terms of its uh, use and, and maybe if there are some bandwidth hogs that might be using it more so than others, I mean, is there any way of, of, of you know, sort of restricting that or controlling so that? So that's, I mean, that's a very good point. I mean, you, you have to, I mean, it's a, it's a community, right? You can't have one or a small subset of users impacting the others. And so there are fair use policies mm -hmm. in place and we do have, you know, various mechanisms that you help can, us, you know, control that. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's, it would be useless if people didn't, you know, use it for use whatever it. they wanted. So right. if I if I rented the space above uh, Hank's Hot Dogs or something and had a little closet and I'm doing app development, it's probably I, at least I don't need to sign up with an ISP and run a wire to my unit because I'd have access to that network. Well, uh, yeah, okay, so you you do <laughs> you, you you do have to, um, you know, it is a hot spot sort of arrangement where you do have, you know, you get the pop-up that... Oh, the terms of service. Terms of, terms and conditions and acceptable use policy. You have to click on it at least every 24 hours. 
Um, or, see, so see. you can't really connect a server to an expected <laughs> use. The, the, you know, we're uh, we're talking to Stephen Hahn from Dialogic about the uh, Wi-Fi network and, of course, how, how to hack the network. Right. And, <laughs> how to make uh, trouble. Aaron Kinney from uh, Kamehameha Schools and Wei Fong, who's uh, also going to talk to us about Agora. And, of course, if you have a comment or question or interested in what's going on in Kaka'ako, feel free to give us a call. Number here is 941-3689 on Oahu or 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. And, uh, you know, we'll continue to go down this uh, path of, of hacking uh, the Wi-Fi because I'm <laughs> interested in that. But, but uh, wait, you know, uh, the uh, Agora project was, was very in- is interesting. I mean, um, now, uh, you know, Agora, I was, I was tested in the morning about uh, where the root of Agora came from. And I, I, I sort of thought it was Roman, but it's actually Greek. So it's a, it's kind of a what like what does it describe like an open air sort of place to interact and an open space. You're right. The root of the word is Greek, um, and this is the name of the project was christened by Telly Bow Wow, the mm-hmm. architects we're working with. They're a Tokyo-based firm that is specifically interested in exploring and sort of breaking the mold of what we think about public space sort of creating micro-public spaces, public spaces that really respond to or engage the behavior of the local community. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the chief reasons why we knew as a team at Inner Island Terminal that we wanted to do a project with Atelier Bow Wow if, if we could. And so this opportunity came up. So so when you say the opportunity came up, I mean, how, did, uh, did the Atelier Bow Wow guys contact you? Did you contact them? How did that? We contacted them and actually, um, you know, it, Partnerships and relationships prove to be fruitful sometimes in the most unexpected ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, Holly Kalani Corporation has supported our work in the arts for many years. And sometimes that support comes in terms of comped hotel rooms when we have a visiting artist, but sometimes it comes in the form of helping us make a connection. Mm. And, you know, they are um, owned by a Japanese corporation. And through their uh, parent company and actually through uh, a gentleman that works at the Holly Kalani here, we were able to make a connection with the principals of Atelier Bow Wow, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is a husband and wife team. Um, and they've been working in Tokyo primarily, but have done a lot of internationally-based projects that really deal with public spaces of all different shapes and sizes. And um, we had an introduction made and began a conversation. They had never been to Hawaii, so they were very curious about it. I think from their standpoint, you know, living in Japan, you always hear about Hawaii, and so they were very curious about what our spaces were like here and what our urban spaces were like here mm-hmm. because their practice really began with uh, exploration of tiny p- spaces that are sort of nestled in between buildings and undiscovered spaces in Tokyo's urban fabric. Mm-hmm. Um, so then the project we designed with them, uh, or actually they being the architects led the design, um, they came here. We did sort of a walk around and looking at Kaka'ako. We spoke with many different constituents in Kaka'ako, including our partners at Kamehameha Schools, the HCDA, about different public spaces that we could maybe use or borrow to do an exploratory project with. Mm-hmm. And actually, um, Mr. Sukamoto, who's the founder of Atelier Bow Wow, noticed that we actually have really great public open air spaces here in Hawaii. We've got great weather. What was missing in Kaka'ako was shaded space. And what was in abundance was indoor space, you know, with the wall-to-wall warehouses that are part of Kakako's recent history, which are still standing. And um, 
The idea that he came up with was to take an existing warehouse space, an existing private warehouse space, and transform it into an indoor park to kind of turn that idea of a park on its head, mm. to provide free shaded space. Um, and that was one thing that we all notice here is that people gather in shaded spaces because it's pretty hot out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's where we began. And again, thanks to our partners at Commandment Schools, we quickly identified a warehouse that was um, where the tenant, longtime tenant, had just left. It was vacant and would be a perfect space for us to do this project. Good. I want to I want to get into the sort of like the location and sort of where uh, the project is at uh, um, in terms of its timeline. So hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with Wei Fong, Aaron Kenny and Stephen Han about tech and art and creativity in Kaka'ako and, of course, the new space called Agora. How can a space influence the clientele, the residents and the community? We'd, of course, love to hear from you as well. You can call 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I love the mix of news and entertainment and fine music. It just feels a very important part of my life. And of course, now that I live on the big island, I feel like I have everything between the island of Hawaii and Hawaii Public Radio. Life couldn't be more perfect. Member supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. Am I dead? Everything's pretty black. Am I dead? Same as it has been last couple of weeks. There's a real difference here. How would I know if I was dead? This is a mistake. My family, my daughter, I do want to live. What happens at the very moment when you slip from life to the other side? And what happens after? Next time on Radio Lab. Saturday morning at 10. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Ryan Ozawa. And uh, we're talking to Wei Fang, Aaron Kinney, and Stephen Hun about creating Kaka'ako and turning it into an attractive proposition. And of course, can Wi-Fi be enough to draw a crowd? Well, I don't know. But we will find (laughs) out the answer to that question. And of course, you can call in and ask us any question you like at 941-3689 on Oahu or 877- 9413689 from the neighbor islands and of course we were talking about the uh, agora and atelier bawao and the uh, sort of this new shaded space that's coming up and I'm, i was kind of curious like Aaron where exactly would this space be um so the agora space is actually on cook street it's um across from fisher hawaii mm-hmm. um 441 cook street it doesn't actually have a door that faces cook street yet but it will. Mm-hmm. So um, there's two kind of new roll-up doors on Cook Street, and it's next to that. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a cool Kickstarter uh, campaign that's going on. Yeah. And, and uh, I want to congratulate you because you've made your goal. We okay? did. Then, and that's, Just on that's, Sunday. That's, that's great. <laughs> now, but the thing is, I don't think $15,000 is going to build this space. No, unfortunately, no. Um, but we are working with a lot of different private partners, people who have given in-kind donations, um, and, of course, corporate sponsors to sort of raise the funds for the entire project. Uh, The $15,000 we aim to raise on Kickstarter, which we met our goal this Mm -hmm. past Sunday, is to go towards building materials. But we're can actually our campaign technically doesn't end till March 13th. So So you can can still. Oh, sorry, 16th. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So we are continuing to raise money, and actually within hours after announcing that we had reached our goal, a lot more donations came in. So oh, I good. think we're now at around 115% of our goal. Well, congratulations. And, um, you know, the, for the first month, we're planning to open the indoor park uh, in late May or early June. And then we've planned a month of free public arts programming in the space during the month of June. And we're working, working with a lot of community arts partners like um, – We've talked with Kumukuhua Theater, with Ballet Hawaii, the Honolulu printmakers are going to come and do a really cool participatory printmaking project. Uh, Inner Island Terminal has long sh- had a documentary film series, so that's going to be going on in the space. Mm-hmm. And actually the, f- the Wi-Fi that's coming on board is going to actually allow us to do some kind of experimental things with that documentary film series in the space. So we, when we met our goal, our team decided that if we could raise some extra money during the campaign, we would use the extra money to really support all these free public arts programs. So we'll be able to, you know, help all of the other arts groups who are participating with us to kind of offset some of their costs. Mm-hmm. So, so please do keep donating and backing the Kickstarter campaign. <laughs> so Aaron, I mean, um, certainly I can see as uh, the caretakers of the Kakako space that this is a good project because it fosters community, it continues the creativity, it makes people think in innovative ways, and it makes use of a space that might be underutilized in uh, benefit of a community and, uh, you know, maybe you have Mother Waldron Park and other open spaces, but this is a completely different kind of space. But I do have to ask, um, you know, what's the business pros- I mean, proposition here? Um, to for, for Wi-Fi or for the Agora? Oh, for, the, for, for supporting the Agora project. Well, I think, um, you know... We're in. We've been always in support of Interland Terminal and and Wei and and her team, um, and there is no commercial kind of revenue generating model for the Agora. But you know, it's our goal is really to build community and to um, increase even even to increase foot traffic on a more consistent basis. Um, we actually recognize the same need that they did um, that we need indoor shaded space. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of like the Wi-Fi. Um, we had seen with um, R&D um, all of the businesses that had started there and the kind of the, the fruits that had come from R&D. And we, we know that with Waze Group and just providing the space for it would allow for more of that to happen. I mean, places like Pico, their business plan was formed right there at a table mm-hmm. on R&D. Um, she can tell you others that have kind of come out of R&D. And so we knew that if we supported something like the Agora mm-hmm. and then if we added the Wi-Fi, that we would really um, kind of support more connections between people and businesses and ideas and that collision was really going to be good for our community. Mm-hmm. So, so there's not a, you know, you can't put a price on that. Um, so so that's, I, I'm sure that's music to uh, Stephen's ears because uh, you don't have to worry too much about maybe how you recover the cost. I mean, if, if Kamehameha School views the Wi-Fi as being a value proposition for Kaka'ako, then that's sort of... It's an amenity. Right, right. right it's right. an amenity like you would add art or you would add... Um, Mm-hmm. Street furniture. I mean, anything to improve the community. That's Wi-Fi is that. Um, I got a lot of calls today from people who ha- were watching yesterday or read about it in the paper and were interested in the business model for it. And what did you tell them? Oh, I 
explained a little bit about, you know, kind of how we worked with HT. But we, you know, we obviously, it was easier for us than it would be for, say, a municipality like the city. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. we, it's a, it's a relatively small area. We own all the land within that area. We have control over the buildings and access to those buildings. So, you know, even when we have tenants, we're still able to get access into the buildings for these, for the installers, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. that, I think, made the project very simple in terms of, you know, doing we you know because we we rfp'd for it i think late october and and you know we were buying equipment by yeah we december we started the project the installation of the project just merely four weeks ago mm-hmm. so you think about how quickly that went um you know we had to pull you know electrical service we had to um install a variety of masts and support structures and all of that went very smoothly because there was one landowner that had um, you know f- full access right, right. to these buildings, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that that would be very hard to do, like Aaron was saying, in any municipality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, Stephen, of course, so there was a competitive bid process. This is a business proposition to some extent that you were able to deploy this because you have a client that's paying for you. But I am kind of curious from HDD's point of view: uh, is is there any sim- you know? Uh, connection in the vision between what's happening in Kakaako and the company. I mean, well, certainly. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I mean, we're, we're a young company. Um, you know, I have a business partner, Jared Gruget and myself. We, we're, we're, we, we own and operate the company. So we're a very small company, um, but we have a lot of big ideas. <laughs> um, and uh, when we heard about this project, we thought, wow, this is, I mean, this is really what we want to do. I mean, we already offer things like 100 megabit internet service at many high-rise condominium buildings throughout Hawaii. And that's uh, just up until recently, we were the only ones doing that. Uh, now you can get it from Hawaiian Telecom. Mm-hmm. Um, but we believe that you know, ubiquitous and really good, really fast internet is what people want. And that's just going to keep increasing over time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's the, how we connect in the world today. And it's it's not really an am- I mean it is an amenity as the way Kamehameha Schools is presenting it in their community, but for you and I, for most people, it's a necessity. You have to have it. If you don't have the internet, you really can't live your life nowadays. I I, I will uh, I will uh, you know try not to describe my experience yesterday in uh, uh, Diamond Head Crater where there was no internet access at all. How did you survive? I barely did. I I, I came out of that meeting with a severe headache. <laughs> But uh, no, I mean you know it, it's it's great and and Aaron, I want to um, you know, kind of understand from a commitment school standpoint, you know, like it's easy to say, okay, well we want to sign up all these commercial businesses and you know sort of recover our uh, through lease rent or whatever. Uh, but you know to actually incorporate some of these like amenities, Wi-Fi or art art spaces, and and you know kind of attract the the creative um, uh, community. Is there a um, sort of a return on that investment? Is there some kind of metric that you sort of look at, like saying, well, you know, we've we've offered it, we've had all this kind of creative folks come in and, and maybe they have resulted in some startups that, that, that right. came up? So, you know, one of the main kind of immediate ways we'll use this Wi-Fi is at the Honolulu Night Market. And mm-hmm. up until this point, um, you know, we have, a, we have what's called the pinch of salt market. It's a pop-up warehouse. I mean, it's a warehouse where we have pop-up, 19 pop-up stalls. And until Wi-Fi, you know, the individual vendors had used their squares off their Mm -hmm, phones mm -hmm. and off their, you know, their their little hotspots and stuff, but they didn't have consistent wireless, you know, connectivity. 
And the Wi-Fi that we're putting is actually going to allow for more transactions at the night market. Not that we get any of that, but you know, it's just they'll be able to do more business at the night market.、Um, you know, the night market, the the pinch of salt warehouse is all about incubation. So. Maybe there's a business that that pops up at the warehouse that eventually becomes a tenant at Salt. So you know, there it'll come back to us, I think, in some way. So, so the people that we take a long term view, right? And and the people that measure your performance、yeah. are happy with what's happening. Oh, definitely. Oh, good. Definitely. Now, Wei, I want to talk a little bit more about Agora. I mean,、yeah. uh, indoor shaded space that sounds great. That sounds like a warehouse with a big door.、Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I would imagine, especially with the reputation that Atelier Bauwau has in、yeah. reclaiming these urban spaces in creative ways, half a block and a tiny segment of sidewalk, and what can they do with that? What are some of the features of Agora that、uh, that would draw people to kind of explore this creative space? Yeah, well, I think、uh, it's important to remember that Atelier Bauwau's design standpoint comes from the theory that they call behaviorology. Which is really that、uh, even once the structure or the building is built, it's not entirely complete until the local community begins to use it and shape it with their own sort of、um, organic behaviors. And so, what you'll see when the structure is built,、um, it's designed. The main design feature is a loggia, which is kind of like a mezzanine or a second floor balcony or stage-like space. And the idea would be that、um, it could be used as sort of inspired by a theater, where people would come and do the things that they do, and watch other people、um, who are performing have quiet space to sit. And then the space could also be used to host community gatherings, which、uh, to us at Inner Island Terminal was the important piece. That was the main reason why we opened R and D, and that was the main sort of takeaway from it is that people wanted a space to gather, and a gathering space that would encourage sort of creative acts.、Um, and so, actually, the Agora is going to be open. Monday through Friday during regular business hours, with not much programmed in there. So you know you could just get your bagel next door at the Sizzit Bakery and grab <laughs> your paper and just sit down there for about ten minutes as part of your morning routine and not be forced to do anything. You know you could bring your laptop and sit and do a little bit of typing. Though it's not really a co-working space.、Right. And then in the evenings and weekends,、um, we're building out sort of a website system where if you're a community organization that wants to Book the space to hold. You know, you want to present a lecture on a topic、uh, that's interesting to you, or you and a group of friends have been working on a performance that you maybe want to workshop there or something. Or, or you want to plan another maker fair. Yeah, <laughs> you could host a maker fair. You know, the printmakers want to do another big demonstration. Things like that. How many? How many people can you fit in in the space?、Uh, we are currently finalizing some of our permitting. So currently, we're at、um, what's permitted is about a hundred and fifty people.、Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's a good size. I mean, it's a thirty-five or thirty-five hundred or so square foot、mm-hmm. warehouse. Yeah. No,、so. no. You said that the、uh, it should be ready by the end of May or June、mm-hmm. of of twenty fourteen. Yes, very soon. That's、actually. pretty. That, yeah, we're marching. Yeah,、mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a really complicated construction.、Okay. Um, you know, we're not using super high tech materials. It's lumber.、Mm-hmm. Um, it's、uh, we have a native sort of plant. Garden that's going to be a rooftop and a vertical feature、um, in there that Huiku Maliola is doing. So we're working with a lot of community partners to build the space. Our construction timeline really is about four to six weeks. Currently, we're pretty much done with all of our design work. Our permits are into DPP, and we're、um, sort of quickly moving through the DPP process. That's the Department of Permitting and Par- Parks. Planning. 
Permitting yeah. and planning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the city, I should know that. And we're also going through a permitting process with the HCDA, right. the Hawaii Community Development Authority. So we had our first public hearing with them in uh, Feb- early February, first week of February, and we have to wait 60 days until we do our second public hearing. So that's scheduled for April 2nd. Mm-hmm. And are if, you the are you the general contractor for this? Uh, I am not uh, the oh. general contractor. <laughs> I'm kind of I'm working sort of as a uh, curator and kind of producing the project, mm-hmm. so coordinating all the different pieces of it. Um, but there's other people on our team at Interland Terminal who are working on other aspects too. And then actually, the general contractor is Ian Eichelberger of Sunworks Construction, and he is a f- former neighbor of R&D's, or R&D was his former neighbor mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in Kakako. So it really is a community yeah. sort of group effort to get this built. You know, I was just thinking, I'm, maybe I'm fixated about drones lately, but you could also maybe have drone flying classes because it's indoors and you're, it might, your drone might not fly out to the ocean. Yeah, that. and that's the kind of thing we really want to see. So uh, when it's built and our website for the Agora is launched, you should be able to get on the website, check out the calendar, see what other people are doing there and say, hey, I want to come to that drone demonstration. Or, um, you know, fill out a little application to request to hold an event there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, Stephen um, or Aaron, actually, uh, with the Wi-Fi uh, deployment, I can definitely see the excitement. I mean, um, uh, walking through the area and having that access is great. Mm-hmm. Is there a plan or a hope or a vision that it might grow, that uh, you could expand that space over time as, as further development takes place? or? Well, right now it's it's pretty much covering our nine block master plan. So okay. we've been, you know, they've been tweaking, and you can talk more about that. But they've been tweaking over this week to kind of cover, make sure that it's it's fully covered. Um, I think some of the, I think they, and he can talk to that too. But they would like to expand into the built spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, they actually have plans for even this on the fourteenth. What is that? Right, we're doing an out of office Friday event, so we're actually doing a pop up co-working event oh, okay. um, in one of our warehouses. So get outside, get online. Get outside, yeah, get online, get out of your cubicle, come down to Kaka'ako. So in, in like in, in the event, you know, in the case of this uh, particular event, yeah. you know, where they're saying, hey, we're going to have a area where we're going to want people to, to be working here, um, we might temporarily move an access point in that area that would, that would you know, enhance the, uh, you know, the service delivery there. Okay, so they're not like permanently connected uh, to to places. You can you can have the flexibility of moving them. Well, around. yeah, there are a number that are permanently connected, but there are a number that are. So that there's are, an access point in Agora, right? Uh, there will be. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> but there, but even if there weren't, there are access points along in along that building, mm-hmm. those building walls, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so even if there wasn't one directly in that space, you would still get some sort of signal. So, Stephen, if someone wanted to find out more about this uh, Wi-Fi deployment, where can they go? com slash Wi-Fi. That's where to go. Okay. Oh, okay. And, and Wei, where can we go to the Kickstarter campaign? or You can like, access that straight from our homepage at interislandterminal.org. Sounds good. So, Wei Fong is the inspiration behind Agora. <laughs> Oh, it Aaron. takes a whole team of us, too. <laughs> <laughs> and Aaron is the development manager over at Kamehameha Schools, and Stephen Hahn is the co-president over at HDT. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank, thank you. you very much. Thanks, guys. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we'll talk about new changes happening at the Office of Information Management and Technology. And if you missed any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, email us at feedback at bitemarkscafe.org. And, of course, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Bite Marks. And you can follow me at 
Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chung, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Koslovich. And we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's a band called Bee Forest and a song called Colors. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.